Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Brooklyn, New York. We are joined by Swim Swam Associate Editor Tori Hart from downtown sunny Oakland, California, and Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What's the weather like in Philly right now, Braden? Is it uh, it's okay. It's like 50 and sunny. Nice. It's sunny in Oakland, actually. Okay. Always, except for last week. It's always sunny in Oakland. <laughs> Sunny no, side of Tori. the bay, as they call it. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> All right, let's get right into things. We had a big week of swimming with NCAA midseason meets, ISL, you name it, we swam it. Uh, let's start with the NCAA midseason meets. One of the biggest things I saw, Alabama came out looking red hot. Is this a good sign for Margot Gear's first year as head coach at Alabama? It's definitely a good sign. Um, we knew they had talent, even though they lost a few transfers, they lost a few commits. We knew there was still talent there. Um, and, and so it was a sign of, of whether she could sort of keep that talent going. And she certainly has done that. Um, you know, it shouldn't be too much of a transition. Ozzy Cavedo is still there as an assistant. Uh, Margot trained under the prior head coach, Coley Stickles. So like it, it shouldn't have been too much of a shock to anybody's system with the coaching change. Um, and that's, I think the good news for her. Um, we still have to see what she can do with her swimmers, with her recruits, uh, if she can develop them, if she can make them good sort of fully under her training. Um, but I think for now, this is, this is at least assuage the worst of our fears of a, what is she? 28, 20 or 28, 28 ish year old head coach who has never really been a full-time swim coach before, um, taking over a program like Alabama. There's some concerns about how that's going to go, but you know, I think the worst of those fears we can push aside and now she can sort of work on the rest of those things that she needs to cement herself as a top D one head coach. As you said, feel like we can't read too much into it first invite of her tenure there. But I mean, I think for those in the know about, about the situation over there, it kind of was a statement um, showing from Alabama really across all strokes, all disciplines, uh, just just really came out swinging and then impressed across the board with some, some standout swims in there as well. I think one thing that, uh, you know, they had their sensational weekend and then we just published an article this morning about a kid decommitting from UNC and recommitting to Alabama um, it's like, you know, the, it seems like this is already kind of sent shockwaves of like, okay, yeah, Alabama's legit. Uh, but let's move on to the next team that looked really good this weekend was Arizona state. They're coming off, of course, their red shirt season where they didn't compete at all in the NCAA last year. Um, what were your thoughts on seeing ASU just coming out swinging in their first, you know, really big meet in a year and a half? I think it's great to see, um, you know, I, my first thought was, I wonder if they're getting that sort of, you know, the thing coming out of the pandemic where everybody was swimming super fast, um, having not had a meet, having had maybe been doing some training, doing a lot of sitting at home. Um, you know, they, the, a lot of swimmers last year came out swimming super fast. And I wonder if this is just sort of Arizona state getting that effect. Um, but Leon Marchand is the truth. Um, that's just one more name to throw. We've talked on this podcast several times about the 400 IM and NCAAs with Carson Foster and Hugo Gonzalez and whoever else I'm not thinking of. 
Um, and that's just one more name to throw on that pile that's going to make that a great race at NCAAs. Interesting. I did really suppose it was particularly on the men's side where they, you know, were shining and, uh, you know, it would be great to see a little bit more uh, pushing of the envelope uh, from the women's team. Emma Norton had some great swims, swept the 200, 500 mile, you know, really came out swinging, but it was, you know, the Grant Houses, the Julian Hales, the Jack Dillons on the, on the ASU team who really stood out in this meet. I think it's kind of interesting. We it's, it's almost like Emma Norton going into that canceled NCAAs. She was like about to have her meet. And then because of last year with them not swimming, it's almost like everybody forgot about her. Um, but you know, she could have been Paige Madden last year had, had Arizona state swum. So, um, I, I think it's, it's exciting to see that her momentum wasn't disrupted by the year away um, because she was, she looked like she was on a precipice in 2020. Um, and then the COVID just kind of did what COVID does. I think it's kind of funny. You say, you know, she could have been Paige Madden because leading you know, last year, long course at the, at the pro swims, like she, she looked like she was going to make the Olympic team. Like she looked like the sleeper that was going to do, what Paige Madden ended up doing at trials, making the 400, getting on the four by two relay. Like I thought Emma Nordine was going to be that girl who did that. Um, she looked sensational last year at a lot of the pro swims and long course and having that focus. I thought she was going to do that, but it is really great to see her not have the trials. I thought she was going to have, but then bounce back in yards and, and still look sensational. You know, what would be a fun game on this podcast. <laughs> We we should have Tori and I, the writers, pronounce people's names, and then we I should was, have Coleman, the video guy, pronounce people's names. I was it's, just thinking about this as he said Nordine, and I thought, Darn, how, I, I'm so uncultured. We know how, how to spell all their names, but yeah. you know, we never we never talk to the say their names out loud. Yeah, you would think I would know them better than I do, but we've already established that it would be a fun game. We need to, we, we should play that one day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we do. Who, who knows? I feel like there's five legitimate ones for Sarah, but uh, next team UVA looked, looked great as they always do. But I feel like the real story there was that they, they look a lot better than Stanford does right now in terms of who's going to take that NCAA women's title. Um UVA came out, broke ACC records, went really, really fast. Stanford went really fast. Their, their studs went pretty fast, and but but their second tier swimmers were, were not on this weekend. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair to say. Um, you know, Virginia, I think I think there's still room for them to be nervous. We don't really know what's going on with Gretchen Walsh's health. We know she missed the meet with a health issue. Um I think there's still enough to be nervous about there if that's a bigger issue than just missing this meet, if she's missing training or, or so on and so forth. Um, but, you know, Virginia clearly looked, looked and has continued to look better all season. Um, you know, we're going to run some numbers later, kind of comparing the different invites. And Virginia probably won't come out favorably because of Gretchen Walsh, because they don't swim the 800 free relay until – ACCs, um, which the coaches have explained to us is basically, that means they get out of that night of the invite an hour and a half earlier. Um, and it worked for them last year because they won. So you can't really, can't really knock the strategy on that. Um, so, you know, I think, I don't think it's over 
Um, I think there's a few things that we still need to find out, but it's it's pretty clear at this point that Virginia is the prohibitive favorite. You know, some of the NC State fans really want them to be in that conversation, and they've had some good meets. They just I don't think they have enough numbers to compete with Virginia at this point. Is there any concern from either of you that you know Virginia's peaked too early? Are they going to have more room to drop come ACCs, come NCAAs? Does it matter? I mean, if, if, if Kate goes at 203 in the 200 breast, does it matter if she drops time? No, fair point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it seems like Todd and Blair and uh, Tyler and, you know, the, the whole UVA coaching staff have just, they've got it dialed into where it's like, yeah, we swim fast. We swim fast all the time. <laughs> and if we do that, like, and we swim fast at the end of the season, we don't need to go faster, which, well, and I mean, if, if look at the summer, how many, how many teams can say they sent what they send. If you include the post-grads five Olympians, does that include Emma who wasn't really training with them? Yes, it does. So, Alex, okay. So Kate, a page, yeah. Katie Duluth, and then Emma. So four were actually trained with them all went to the Olympics and won medals at the Olympics. You know, and we know how the U S kind of struggled and, not many programs can say they, they handled that double rest as well as, as UVA. Um, I think people are still, this is sort of a, they're not USRPT, but they're very heavily sprint based. So they're going to go fast all year. Um, but they seem to have perfected what they're doing, at least on the women's side where they can go fast all year and still go faster when it counts. So, um, I guess I'm not too worried about that just because two big meets in a row, they've shown that it's not an issue. Well, and especially for the like shorter swimmers and the shorter distances, right? Like Alex went 403, 401, something like around 401. So it's like that, yes, that's an ACC record, but it's like, do we think Alex Walsh can go faster than 401? Like I do. Yeah, Um, definitely. So it's like, you know, and like 203, like, uh, again, that's really fast, but like, it's Kate Douglas. Like, I think she could probably find some tents at least here, there. And like, so yeah, it's, it just seems like UVA's on a roll and they kind of have that dialed in. Um, so next up we, we had a lot of on fire freshmen, Ellen Walsh of Tennessee and Canada, Avery Wiseman of Alabama. And do you know where she's from? But you have that swapped. Walsh is the, the Irish Olympian, and then Wiseman is from Canada, I think. Yes. Okay, Ellen Walsh, Ireland. Avery Wiseman, Alabama, slash Canada. Andre Minikov, Stanford, Min, slash Russia. And then uh, Leon from ASU in France, as we mentioned. A lot of fast foreign freshmen. Uh, who is the most impressive to you all? I'm going to go Ellen Walsh. I mean, the weekend she had just to cross a a breadth of events. She was the second fastest hundred flyer for a freshman ever at 50.2 or three. I think, uh, she had a 154, 200 IM, I think a, a 406, 4 IM, but she didn't swim the final, uh, if I've read correctly, but I mean, obviously it's super limited short course yards experience there, but this is a recruit that, I mean, at least, you know, as far as I know, it's kind of under the radar. I mean, she was an Olympian, but she was kind of on the bubble for that uh, Irish team, but just coming out and, and really tearing it up in, in some of her first swims ever, uh, you know, at this distance and in, in her events, um, pretty incredible. But then to see the 57, seven from 
uh, Avery Wiseman as well, another recruit that I feel like was sort of under the radar, though um, Andrew Maring, I believe, would would beg to differ. He hopefully I said his name right, um, but I think he said he uh, he called her out in his season preview. But just uh, you know, from those two freshman women, just some pretty incredible first short course outings. Yeah, I think the women were definitely more impressive because, you know, Andre Minikov is a world silver medalist. Uh, Leon Marchand has been 409 in the long course 400 IM. So, like, those were expectations. Um, I the, the women, they're good swimmers in long course, but I don't think they had this sort of hype behind them coming in. Um, you know, I... What, it's interesting to me that all four freshmen we're talking about are foreign swimmers. Um, and I'd love to have a, a deeper discussion with somebody about why that is. It's not that American freshmen aren't doing well, but the ones we are talking about are foreign swimmers. Um, so is there something different in the way they're preparing their juniors? How does it play off in the long term? Um, that could be a, maybe an interesting conversation for a different podcast. To me, that's just because we haven't seen their yards times, right? Like Reagan Smith, Tori Husk, we know their progression in short course yards. We And like you said, with Andre and Leon, like we have expectations for them, but we also have expectations for them in yards because like Reagan Smith is the American record holder and Tori Husk is really, really fast in yards. Um, but it's like Andre, Leon, Avery Ellen, we've never seen their yards times before. So like to see their first outings, it's just kind of like, whoa, this is, this is exciting. Like this is really good. Any other NCAA thoughts before we move on to ISL? I think it's worth pointing out, you know, this was kind of women's weekend and we've still got the, the big men's teams, the big heavy hitters on the men's side to come. Um, we didn't see Cal or Texas this weekend. So focus on the women for now. And then we've got the, the big men's stories coming up. Yeah. What not to mention Michigan with, you know, Maggie McNeil, obviously among others, we've got Dean Ferris in Minnesota. We've got, um, Max McHugh. That Minnesota, Minnesota invite is going yeah. to be fun. <laughs> and I'm going to be there getting race videos and interviews. It's going to be awesome. All right. So, but moving on to ISL, uh, my my top headline, Caleb Dressel is immortal. Sorry, Caleb Dressel is a mortal. Nailed it. <laughs> Key distinction. Uh, <laughs> I, he, 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 he looked very average this weekend. He got third in the 50. He got, did he win the 100 IM? Maybe he got second. He, he split 50 point something in the 100 fly on the mixed medley relay and i was shook considering that that cali is a lock for the final is it worse for the league that dressel returned early and wasn't quite his usual mm. self versus holding out for the final oh uh, that's a good question that is a good question um is it worse for the league? Probably. To me, this, as a fan, this feels like just one more kind of knife to the back of like, God, I, I wanted this to be cool and it's just slow. And yeah, I, maybe. I don't, I, th I think it's, no, I don't think it's worse for the league because I'm still going to tune in because Caleb Dressel's swimming. And but will you tune in next week to watch him swim slow again? If, if Caleb Dressel is swimming, I'll tune in, right? I mean, that like from, 
from my fan perspective, especially if he races Kyle Chalmers. But then we see Kyle beat him in the 50, and you're like, whoa, that doesn't normally happen. Like, is that going to happen again? Is Caleb going to allow that again? I, I mean, I don't think it builds hype in the way it probably does for me, but I do think it creates some excitement of like, okay, so he is, he can be beaten um, because then I think it'll be even better well, if he, he gets back on form. And he doesn't, it's not like he never loses. It's not like Phelps who didn't lose for 10 years. You know, he loses. He just doesn't kind of lose to swimmers who aren't necessarily at their best either. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. It, go ahead, Brendan, sorry. No, you go whatever you were going to say was probably better than whatever I was going to say. I, I was just going to say from, from a narrative perspective, you know, it creates the tiniest little bit of adversity for Dressel to overcome in the lead up to this final. Like it's pretty freaking hard to try to, to try to position Caleb Dressel as an underdog ever. But now if he comes back and, and, you know, prevails in the final, that's a way better story. Maybe he's doing it on purpose just to set up that, that marketing spin. I think, I think this plays big in Australia because the Australians love to see Caleb Dressel swim slow. They love to see their boy Kyle win, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like also, uh, you know, maybe he announced his new coaching and now he's super tired from his new coaches and everyone's going to be like, oh, it doesn't work. And then he's going to taper and everyone will be like, oh, never mind, it works. <laughs> if we get the be behind fine. the scenes documentary ever. This is a, a pivotal <laughs> episode, really, really sets up the finale. I can see it. In, in, we have to remember, like, Caleb has made obscene amounts of money in the last six to 12 months. And like, I'm not going to say that that takes the edge off of somebody, but that can put some perspective on the need to train hard 12 months a year for 15 years in a row or, you know, whatever it would be. And, and we've seen Caleb take breaks before, right? Like every time he does something big and he did something big in Tokyo, we all agree on that. He takes a break. Um, he did it in high school. He did it in college. Now he's doing it as a pro. So it's, it kind of fits in his rhythm. Um, every time he does it, he's a little older and it's a little bit of a different experience getting back into it. Um, he's still not old even by swimming terms. So, you know, he doesn't have anything that matters, nothing that's going to make him, you know, Caleb Dressel type money until April. So I think good for him. Um, I really hope they don't try to spin this into an underdog adversity narrative. You can see it a little in the people magazine and in trying to spin kind of a mental health narrative because there's a lot of money in mental health. Now we know mental health is important, but there's also a lot of money in it, which is fine. But I hope that that doesn't become his new pitch. I'd I'd rather he leave that to the Tom Shields of the world. I do also feel like that because of the shortened season this year with April being trials, May world champs, it's like, he's probably not as dialed in for ISL. And like Tori mentioned, Callie doesn't really need him to be at a hundred percent for them. Do you think he dodged the Kyle Chalmers hundred free? Like, do you think, do you think if he had been swimming well, he would have swum that hundred free? I do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I, yeah, uh, I totally think he dodged that one. I mean, if it's it, it, like the dude goes 47, he split 50 point and a, on a re from a swing, which his swing is, doesn't really help him more than the start, but like, 
Yeah. I mean, you could tell he had a lighter schedule. You could tell Callie was not sweating it. And yeah, I, I think he was like, I think for him, he puts a lot of stock in his racing. So if he, if he's going to like race Kyle in the hundred free, he wants to be at his best and he knew he wasn't. So he's like, I don't, I don't want to do that today. So the next ISL topic is that Toronto actually has a chance right now after London became the fourth team to win a playoff match out of four playoff matches so far. Um, what are we thinking for, for ISL final? Do we think Toronto is going to get in? They're only one point in the standings currently behind LA and they do have a more favorable match coming up uh, than LA. LA is racing London and energy and DC and then Toronto has Cali, Aqua, and Iron. So I feel like Toronto has has a much easier road to second than LA does. And if so, what happens if Toronto gets second, LA gets third, and then they're tied? And so the tiebreaker is based on points scored in matches that they both both raced in. And what's the little wrinkle there is that even though they're deciding the playoff tie. That those tiebreaker matches include the regular season matches. I'm sure somebody had a good reason for putting that in, but just once again, the ISL making the rules way more complicated. Always a wrinkle. Than it to be. Um, but you know Barry Revson, who I'm sure we'll have back on at some point to to work through this, ran the 576 permutations of results for the last two matches, um, and so I'm going to read you what he said. If Toronto wins match six, Toronto makes the final unless Energy and LA finish one, two in some order and London finishes third. Okay. You following so far? Yep. So Toronto winning match six is obviously good for them. If Toronto finishes second in match six, ignoring weird cases like DC or Iron winning matches, which are probably not going to happen, then they need either. An energy win and an LA fourth place finish, a London win and an LA fourth place finish, an LA win and an energy fourth place finish, or a London win and an energy fourth place finish. So in other words, they need one of those three teams ahead of them to finish fourth in their last match. Also not very likely. If Toronto finishes third or fourth, they're out. So Toronto's clearest route is... um, winning match six and then having energy in LA both beat London and relegating London to third, which is crazy because London just won that, that match, right? Like that seems like, Oh, London should be in great shape after winning, but they didn't do great in the first match. And so two thirds and a first isn't better than three seconds, for example. London and LA being paired for this playoffs continues to be an incredibly tough draw for LA. I mean, by far the the hardest pairing here kind of, uh, you know, set them behind from the start. So do we think, I mean, do we think like who's going to go all out? It's almost, what do they call it? A prisoner? What What's the prisoner's dilemma? It's like who goes all out and gambles on whether or not the other ones are or are not going to go all out. I mean, LA has their back against the wall, right? They have to go out all out to win at this point. Right. They need a huge result if they're going to make it happen. They need to be, they need, basically need to finish first or second. They need to beat London. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess Toronto really doesn't have to go all out. They just have to get top two, right? 
can they get top? Well, they really need to win. Um, I don't, I don't there. I don't think there's any way Toronto beats the Cali. I mean, even, even if like, even if Dressel doesn't swim, I don't think they can beat Cali. Which makes it very difficult. The second place outcome for Toronto is a very difficult advancement. Basic, like in short terms, what has to happen there if Toronto gets second? LA, basically LA, London, or Energy have to finish fourth in their meet. Oh. So I think, you know, to me, (laughs) Energy isn't going to go all out because they, they have a chance. You know, part of this is like, if you're LA and London... Maybe if you're London, you're thinking you have a shot at the title after winning yesterday. LA, I think, is probably realistic where making the final is their ceiling this season. So I bet LA takes a little rest this week and makes sure they get to the final. That would be my guess. It seems fair. I I feel like some of at least some of the athletes on every team are probably like, yes, we can win, like the whole thing, right? Like the final. But I would think at least the coaches have that realism of, okay, yeah, yeah. I think LA has to, has to be at their best to make and sure. You know, it's only one week later. So like, hold yeah. on to your taper for a week or you know, I, that's, that's reasonable. I mean, the Olympic trials end a week after they start. So if you can't hold on to that taper for eight days, yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Um, all right. That's ISL. Now it's time to play our favorite game, sink or swim. First up today on sink or swim, Lydia Jacoby signs with arena. Do we think this will lead to a myriad of high school swimmers, specifically female swimmers making suit deals in the future? Absolutely. Cause I think there's two business factors in play here. The first is financial. I think you're going to get them at a better rate when they're in high school. Um, and it's, it's worth the gamble that they will then stay with you and maybe be a little friendlier in negotiations when they get into college and when they turn pro. Um, because even, even an Olympic gold medalist as a high school swimmer, I don't think is getting, you know, Katie Ledecky, Simone Manuel million dollar a year suit deals. I just, I would guess that's not happening. Um, and then the second is a marketing thing. I think when you have a high school swimmer and especially into college, that's when they're most visible. That's when they're swimming the most meets that the most people care about. They have sort of the college thing to latch onto. Think about how many pros sort of just disappear into a pro group. Um, you know, think about like a Jack Conger and, 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 and like there's all these swimmers who we don't know we don't know if they're still swimming or not. We know we find out when they show up at a meet um, versus the high school and college swimmers. You know, they're swimming, they're active on social media, they're racing every two or three weeks. So I think there's a big like marketing value to high school and college swimmers that to a lot of extents, until you get to at least the world championships, if not the Olympics, that is more valuable than the pros. And, and I know the ISL wants to change that, they want to give those pros a platform to be a bigger, bigger marketing deal year round, but they're just terrible at it. And so right now the NCAA system is the best marketing machine in swimming. So I, I'm swimming that there will be a lot more deals like this. 
I'll swim it as well. I'll say that, you know, Lydia Jacoby got the, the full treatment. She got the professional picture. She's got the stunning background. I mean, she was a blessing for swim marketing. She's got a unique story. She's the character outside of the pool and she's Olympic gold medalist. So, you know, obviously those are few and far between, but, um, you know, in women's swimming specifically with when stars are peaking early in high school, I think it's going to be great for the sport. They might have some of, uh, you know, a little bit smaller deal, you know, you see you grab your arena suit, you take a picture and you post on Instagram at your pool. It's not the full marketing rollout of them as a signed athlete, but I think on a lesser level, we'll absolutely see a fallout of, of some smaller tier deals. If I, if I, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm a suit rep or a, a marketing rep at one of these suit companies, I think, man, the high school kids, uh, they, they aren't going to have the same high powered agents. They aren't going to have the same opinions. They're going to do a lot more of, ju they're just going to say yes to what I asked them to do. It's, it just seems easier. And again, I think this all wraps up into you're getting, you're going to get a much better value. They're, they're probably better at social media. I mean, some of the pros are still just a little old or are losing interest. It seems like in social media, and you can tell when they're just posting, when their agent tells them to post, or I, I would imagine, I hate to peek behind the curtain too much, but I would imagine a lot of them are not posting their own content at all. That makes total sense to me. Also, I would think that as younger swimmers, you're, you're getting into the business side of things at a younger age. So you just get more experience at it. And, you know, you're not, maybe this doesn't happen, but you're not overvaluing yourself. And so you get kind of a taste of it first, you can ease your way in. And then if you keep having a good career, you know, it's like, look at Cody Miller, you know, it's like his swimming has almost nothing to do or how fast he swims has almost nothing to do with his value now because he's, he's had his swimming career go well. And then he just works at it on the business side and the media side of it. And boom. I mean, who, who would you rather have all else equal? We know Caleb Dressel is the marketing monster that he is, but all else equal, would you rather have Caleb Dressel who comes out and says, I limit myself to 15 minutes on social media per day or, you know, whatever he said in that interview. Yeah. Um, or would you rather have Lydia Jacoby who is fully immersed in social media? She and her friends communicate via memes, you know, is, is watching TikToks all day long. Like if you're, if you're looking at it from a pure, like blast the market perspective, I think it's clear which of those is better. Mel has called Caleb out like at to Caleb. He's been like, dude, you need to up your Instagram game. You know, <laughs> where it's like Lydia, she's there. Like you said. Right. Yeah. I think along similar lines, another one I'm waiting, you know, to see the fallout of is Erica Sullivan, who's insanely popular on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. The fact that she hasn't already announced any big deals is kind of surprising. And um, I assume there's, there's something in the works. I think she did announce an agent or some sort of rep, but seems like another obvious one. If anybody's yeah. going to be the next Cody Miller, I think it's Erica Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, <honestly>. absolutely. <laughs> Who Cody Miller taught to swim. <laughs> Ironically <laughs> enough. I love it. All right. Next up is Clement Kolesnikov, the best bubble ring blower ever. He, we, we posted videos of him blowing bubble rings. It's pretty insane. Dude's got skills. Do you, do you rank him at number one? I'm going to sync this. I don't have a name who's better, but I just believe that there's got to be like some 14 year old kid in Southern California <laughs> who learned how to do it on YouTube. That is absolutely doing it better. His were pretty legit though. If we're going like elite swimmers, he's the best I've ever seen. But I guarantee you that there's some kid you've never heard of in California that can do it better. 
his technique is unlike anything I've I've ever seen before in the bubble blowing realm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, go on YouTube. There's tons of people who aren't, you know, professional swimmers who have, you know, insane bubble ring abilities. So take this one as well. I will note though, of course, it's going to be on the Cody Miller blog. He noted in his, uh, his original post. <laughs> Uh, I will note that you too can be an insane bubble blower with swim swims, bubble blowing Instagram filter, by the way, check it out on Instagram. Also, I, I, I just, I do love this, this team up of like Kolejnikov is going to be on the Cody Miller vlog. Like that's one thing that ISL's done well, you know, yeah. athletes get to meet other athletes, foreign and domestic. Um, I think that's so great that, that Clemmy is going to make it a cameo on the Cody Miller vlog. Uh, Claire Curzan broke three national high school records. You probably have never heard of any of them because they're in short course meters. Do we need to start having high school state meets in short course meters so that the national high school records in short course meters become legit? I feel a little bit like an old man. Don't change my sport. <laughs> But I like yard swimming. I I like I like these short course meters, especially now that more swimmers are swimming fast more often as sort of like a mid season topper upper. Um, but I like short course yards. I like that high school swimming has kind of a unique course that they can talk about and focus on. Um, it doesn't really. I know a lot of people would like all American swimming to go to short course meters, but the financial burden of doing that is just unbelievable. Um, and you would have too much of an advantage over this, the teams that had short course meters pools. We already don't have enough pools in this country. We can't just knock down 98% of them. Um, so I am thinking that high school should have state meets and short course meters. That being said, if somebody did it once, we would cover it like crazy and it would get tons of clicks. So definitely go for it. I think it's clear that, you know, the opportunities in, in pro swimming in the U.S. are trending or in the world are trending short course meters. So to have an occasional high school meet just to familiarize yourself with the format makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, I think it's absolutely something that, you know, I would swim happening, but agreed as long as the American collegiate system say short course yards, we're not going to see or should see state meets going short course meters. That's a good point. Uh I think state meets should be in yards. I think there should be a national high school championship in short course meters. We'd all love to see it. It would be awesome. That's my two cents. All right. Next on our list, we alluded to it earlier. Caleb Dressel announced that he will now be training other under Anthony Nesty and Steve Youngbluth, his, the coaches he trained with in college. Um, do we think that his event schedule will change in major international meets uh, while training under Stephen Anthony. God, that's a really tough one. Um, I don't, I, I don't know that I'd declare they'd change because he's training under Stephen Anthony. Um, I think, how do I put this? It could be an indicator that he's willing to change his events because those guys could be better. I, I think we're going to see him on an 800 free relay at worlds for sure. Um, so I think if that, if we call that an event change, I think that we'll see him on an 800 free relay at worlds. I'm willing to go on the record with that. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him go after a 200 IM or something at a lesser meet, but unless that goes really well, I think we'll in Paris see him right back in the 50 free, 100 free, 100 fly and a whole lot of relays. 
I mean, I feel yeah. like that's an event change. I, we've Have we ever seen Caleb Dressel in an 800 free relay in any course? I can't think of a time. I can't think of one. Sorry, Tori, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I would probably think it as well. I mean, I think my remaining question is just, we don't know exactly what's behind this change. Is it that Greg Troy is retiring? Is it that Caleb was really just ready for a change? Like, we don't really know why this is happening. We might be just like reading into it too much. It could be as simple as Troy is ready to be done. Um, that remains to be seen, but it's kind of like, why would he make a change at this point? Unless, I don't know, he's just like, I don't know, so on another level mentally, that he's just bored with dominating his, his usual events. I just don't see, you know, what the point would be, but I think if anyone were to just get bored of dominating their usual events, uh, it would probably be Caleb and uh, maybe he's just ready for a new challenge, but seems unlikely. I don't think he'd give up the 50 or the hundred free unless he had the world record. I think he's so close to those world records in his head that extra 10th or whatever he needs, he can probably, you know, we've, we've seen his, his race breakdowns on his YouTube channel and he can probably think of 15 ways he can find that extra 10th, whether he ever will or not, we don't know. Um, but I think he would never give up the 50 hundred free without having the world records. Agreed. But I feel like he could, yeah, I mean, the 800 free relay, I think, is the only realistic thing we'll see him in this summer. Do you um, think he'd go yeah. after the 200 free at the World Championships individually? No, I don't. I could I, see I it. Just, I, I don't. I'd put it, it less than 50-50, but I could see it. Um, I mean, he'd have to, if he gave up the 100 fly, then yes, I could see it. Because then the events are clean. You know, it's there's no overlap. It's clean. You go 200 free and then 100 free and then 50 without any, you know, without any schedule conflicts besides relays. So you're not like doing doubles or triples or anything crazy like that. If but you even at up- Worlds, even at a Worlds where he gets another one a year later, doesn't have to stew on it for too long. I, I, I think if he gave up the 100 fly, he would do 200, 150, which would be freaking awesome but I don't think he'd do four events. I think that's, I think that's too many. And I think for him, it's too above all, I think it would be too mentally taxing. I don't, I don't think he could. What if he gives up the mixed medley relay? I mean, that'd be awesome, but I don't like, because he's like a team player, right? He's too much of a team player. He's not going to be like, no guys, can't yep. do the relay. Have okay, to but him on the medals. mixed medley relay doesn't actually make the mixed medley relay <laughs> in spite of what the U.S. Olympic coaching staff believes. Well, you know, it does, just not the way they did it. Okay. We could have a whole podcast arguing about mixed medley relays. Sometime. Yeah, that's true. I sink, I sink Caleb Dressel on the American mixed medley. <laughs> um, all right. Speaking of mixed medley stars, Adam Peaty, we have to talk about him. He hasn't swam in the ISL yet. Will he show up in Eindhoven to and compete at all in the next two weeks? I don't care. <laughs> I've decided I just don't care. I'm so sick of like the tease of it all. And I, I wrote a big long comment about this the other day. And I think this is so ISL. They love to play these games where they think they can intrigue people by not giving them information and, and Tori knows this as well as anybody because she's worked in just about every sport under the sun. But like 
90% of sports, you tell the story before the competition happens. And then the ending of the story is when you show up at the game or at the meet or at the match and you find out the punchline, the, the, the end, you can't not tell the first 90% and expect people to show up and care. Like you can't just tease people over and over and over again. They will lose interest and I have lost interest in the Adam PD saga. I, I don't, I am sinking him showing up. It's just, he, nothing he's saying, you know, he's not saying he's excited about ISL. He's not saying go London roar. He sent Kyle a book so that he could get a shout out for his book on Kyle's Instagram. But like, I don't see any, any indications that he, is interested. I don't know. Maybe he'd show up for the final just to get on the big stage and plug his book some more. I will say against my best judgment, I am intrigued. I do want to see whether he shows up. I'm not, I'm not out on it. I don't think he will. I think on principle, I'm thinking it because it would be tremendously, if I'm LA current, I'm just like, come on, please don't show up. We already have a tough enough draw. This you haven't been here all season. Just let us battle this out without you. Um, so on principle, sinking it, don't think he should. But it would be kind of fun if he did. I. Why aren't we talking about Pernil Bloom anymore? We need to continue talking about Pernil Bloom I, being I a great like dancer and that she's going to win. That I feel like it's assumed at this point that she'll just win. Yeah, right? I think I, I think mean, we need to end every show with Pernil Bloom, not Adam Petey. Because... I'm bored with Adam. Well, but like Pernilla, like there's no, there's no more. I can't say anything else. She's going to win. She's an amazing dancer. (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's more fun to talk about a crappy dancer than a good dancer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't think Adam PD is showing up to ISL. I think he's, I think he's, he's taken his break from swimming. I think he's done for a while or at least until this summer. The spring, Coleman. The spring. <laughs> the spring. I'm sorry. So May, yeah, May is spring. All right. Any closing thoughts for this for this week's breakdown, y'all? Coleman, how long before you're back in Texas? Speaking of y'all. Mm, good question. I will see the Texas teams in a week at Minnesota. I don't do know. You, do you live in Brooklyn Texas now? Though. I mean, for at this moment, I live in Brooklyn. Yeah. That seems like the most Coleman thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Living in Brooklyn. We've got lots of practice and pancakes coming up on the horizon, including uh, a very spicy practice with the Harvard men and and Dean Ferris. Never heard of him. When's that dropping? Uh, You know, I think, I think we'll get a taste of it before we see uh, the Harvard teams compete in Minnesota. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have some fun media coming out within the next nine days. How's that? Nine days. Nine okay, days. Book it. All right. Well, until then, this is Swim Swim Breakdown. Tune in next week for your week's news in swimming.